Hello and welcome to Frameline. I'm Barbara Gasowski here with everyone's favorite critic, Courtney Small. I don't know about everyone's, but hello. Good to be here. <laughs> I will fight them. Anyone who says differently, I will fight them. But anyway, let's not talk about fighting. Let's talk about amazing films and amazing docs, especially. We are on our second show. It's opening night of Hot Docs, and this is the second show of our hot picks for hot docs. Basically, the the must-see films, the films that we think are the must-see films for hot dogs. It starts today, as I, I just said, and it runs until May 5th. And so go to hotdogs.ca to get all the information. Some of the tickets are, like, some of the films are already sold out, but there are multiple screenings in most cases. And so the later ones probably haven't sold out. So listen up. Or you might have to join a rush line, but that often pays off. So do not despair. I think um, today's theme, if I can loosely attach one to these films, sure. besides being favorites, is people, human interaction, what people do to other people, what people can do for other people, but also what people inadvertently or sometimes on purpose do to other people. Mm-hmm. For better or worse. For better or for worse. So it's a multifaceted theme. And it's a, a whole bunch of different kinds of films that we're going to talk about today. And, of course, I want to start with Honeyland. It's a triple Sundance Award winner. And it's not only is it a visual feast, it's just this incredibly poignant lesson uh, that reminds us about our place in the natural order. It's a cinema verite. It's it's an example of the one of the best, like it's one of the best examples of what cinema verite can do when it's done right or when circumstances because there's no control in cinema verite you follow the subject you're a fly on the wall kind of thing you know you're at the mercy of events as they unfold and patience is a virtue when you're using this style and um, these filmmakers they really they followed uh, this subject over three years and uh, seriously this is like one of the most poetic lyrical um, heartbreaking films that I've seen and heartbreaking in a way. Don't worry, you'll just. Go, I think you're just gonna absolutely love it. So I'll just tell you quickly. It, it the film follows this woman Haditza Muratova, and she is basically the last of the Macedonian wild beekeepers. She lives alone with her ailing mother, and so she's really taking care of her mother. Her, her mother can't do anything; she's bedridden, and so Haditza, she has all these various beehives all over the countryside and the the countryside is is incredible uh but also incredibly isolating it's uh, around the the Balkan mountainside and she you even see like footage of her like climbing these these crazy ridges uh, because she has to keep the bees away from each all the different hives away from each other um but she also has this really interesting philosophy of life that I think we could all learn from. And one day, this family with seven children in all their... (laughs) The the neighbors. (laughs) The neighbors show up. And uh, she, you know, welcomes the the company and is so very happy with the children, with the adults, and, you know, shares some of her secrets and interacts and, uh, you know, just comes with this the most generous nature um to her to her neighbors and then human nature takes you know 
things happen, which we're not going to spoil. And, you know, I think I've already said why I love it. And uh, I don't know. Did you love it as much as I did? I really liked it. I okay. I loved it. And I know a lot of critics absolutely love it. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I find the film to be rather bittersweet because we're, we're taking on this interesting journey of this uh, Ma- Macedonian beekeeper who's kind of like the last of her ilk. You know, she takes half from nature and leaves the other half for nature, which is great. But there's also this context with her neighbor. And on one hand, it's this beautiful imagery and landscape of this woman kind of doing her thing, you know, persevering on her own. And then there's this other side of the story, which is pretty much the men either directly in her life or indirectly, i.e. her neighbor, have essentially taken it upon themselves to make decisions that impact her life at every stage and I think that's for me where the bittersweet part is so that by the end of it I felt for her and I was kind of angry because I wanted her journey to take a different path but I know there's no way for it to because inadvertently the men keep messing up and I guess it's a, a greater commentary on society as a whole but yes you know, women absolutely who, who are achieving great things on their own and then a guy will come on thinking that he's the, the stuff and completely yeah. bungle everything, and you know she's the one that ends up having to pay for it. That's right. You don't think that's a statement about human nature? I think it is. I think it is. I just think with this film, because how it unfolds, and in many ways, the neighbor almost felt like comic relief, just because he his blundering is so great, mm-hmm. and it keeps impacting his family. That I thought there was going to go, it was going to go in a different direction than it does. Really? Because I, I thought that perfectly. I couldn't believe it was unfolding like that because I couldn't believe the audacity, mm-hmm. right, of this individual and, and you know, the other, as you, yeah, the other man that you mentioned. Um, I couldn't believe it because I felt so much for her. You know, she, yeah. she, it's kind of a parable about, you know, some people are just so good natured and yet the world, doesn't necessarily support that vision. Rea- it's reality. Mm-hmm. So to me, it was like reality stepped in. And it was a, a harsh and bitter lesson that she was given. But unfortunately, like the realist in me says, unfortunately, that kind of stuff happens. It yes. shouldn't. It, it because shouldn't. the idealist in me was, was right there with you. But, and I was horrified and, and I was angry. But in the end... Um, it, I think the film just said because it, it speaks such truth about human nature and and really how we behave in the grander scheme of things and I think it has a lesson for us about where we really stand in the grander scheme of things it's power nature and and uh, you know the greater things are greater than us, mm-hmm. and we mess it up. But really, if we respected the natural order, <laughs> we'd be much better off. Yeah, and I and I think you know the last thing I will say is I agree that she understands that nature is bigger than us, and I think more of my frustration was was seeing the neighbor who is a, a man that is is struggling to feed his family. I completely understand that, but. His bungling puts his family in jeopardy at every turn. Mm-hmm. It He doesn't listen to basic instructions that would have helped him mm-hmm. thrive. 
so he's damaging nature, he's damaging his family, he's impacting her life. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, we're observing her pay the price for all of that. Mm-hmm. And I don't, and I, and I know real life doesn't have the comeuppance for everybody, but I, it kind of irked me that I couldn't see what happened to him. Actually, real life point, doesn't have the comeuppance. Yeah, because, I, I kind of wish in this particular case Or you don't did see have, it. Yeah. That, that's the thing. We all talk about karma or we all talk about God or whoever mm-hmm. we believe in. We all talk about this this concept of justice, but sometimes the reality, I guess this is the cynic in me, the, you know, that this film just sort of underscored that she's not going to see whatever justice does come. If it comes, she, she's not going to see mm-hmm. it. She has to deal. She has to figure it out now. Yeah, she has to find peace and solace with the, the simple things in life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think we yeah. all do because, you know, crappy things happen to all of us. Unfair, you know. Mm-hmm. The world is unfair. It's definitely a good film and I highly recommend it. Yeah, I, I found it. It's unforgettable for me. It's, like a, it's almost like a parable for me. Okay, so from that film... Actually, thematically, we're not going to get any any uh, lighter in tone. Uh, we're going to talk about a film that that is uh, absolutely infuriating, uh, but a must-see. It's called Always in Season, and it focuses on this community in North Carolina, Blandenboro, and this case of this uh, young black teen, Lennon Lacey. He was found hanging from a swing set in 2014 and there at the time of the filming there uh, really was no consensus on what had happened because there were uh, like his family and a lot of people that knew him said there's no way that was a suicide and they had you know their own proof and yet the police insisted and there was an inquiry which you know happens throughout the film at the same time the film interweaves footage and um, it, something else is going on in, the, in that community, which is the yearly staging. Um, um, it's a reenactment. Oh, yeah, reenactment Re-enact- of a lynching. Of a lynching. In, I think the 60s? No, uh, 60. I have 46, but I oh, wonder okay. if well, I flipped it to well, 64. No, you, you might be right, because there's this, the thing with this film is that there's essentially like four different stories mm-hmm. kind of unfolding at the mm-hmm. same time. So there's Two lynchings, the lynching of the reenactment, um, which and there's also which had four people. Yeah, lynched. had four people, and then there was another individual. So there's at least two stories from the past that they are mm-hmm. talking about, and those two stories kind of get weaved into the reenactment. And then there's the yeah, Lacey, and there's footage of the reenactment, yeah, the Lacey story as well. So this this film has a lot going on, and I think that might irk some people because those expecting just a clear story about Lacey are going to be surprised that it weaves by. For me, I think it works. I think it navigates the four stories quite well in terms of bouncing back and still being able to follow each each section. I think that that what the film is doing by using that other footage, by following the Lacey case, but then uh, weaving in the other other things that you were talking about, um, that it's giving a context because at the core... What the film is showing us is the deep divide in this um, southern American city and uh, basically the south in mm-hmm. the U.S. Uh, uh, this, and problem, and this problem that's like over 100 years old and it's giving us context. But there's also a mystery about, well, those were never solved. And there's this sort of interpretation. Well, no, no, there's just facts. 
about, and they build up this context for how it could happen that all the white people, whether it be past or present, have no clue, no concept that there's a problem. Yeah, that there's a problem with lynchings they, they, at all. There's no racial problems to them. It, in mm. fact, that there's you know the film begins with this footage of all these white people talking about this lovely little town and it's so quaint and and then there's you know there's other stuff that's interwoven comes in and just says uh, no hello once again reality call. And it, it sets up a interesting contrast, I guess, to I would say compared to how things are now, just in every aspect of life when it comes to racial relations. And here they're talking about lynching. But if you are on the side of, well, that has never happened to me or my people, they're always going to look at, oh, well, things are fine. Like It opens with one of, the, one of the guys saying, we've had no problems here. Everyone gets along except for that one incident of uh, where the boy hung himself. Right? And that's the white perspective. That's the white narrative. Then they cut to the black community in that same same area, and they're all like, "We've endured tons of race racism mm-hmm. at every level." Like it's the, it's night and day how yeah. they look at it. And what I found really interesting about this film was when they're talking about lynching back when it was um, going on, it was a big communal event for the white community. Yes, people would come out, bring their young daughters. From they would advertise it. Advertise it. it was a big promotion. But now when this group does the reenactments to remind people of the horrors, it's for a primarily black audience. Mm-hmm. The white people don't want to come up and, and The white people don't even want to uh, take part be in, in yeah. be mm-hmm. the, the bad white people in the reenactment. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, it's, a, it's a very interesting commentary on how history is approached in, in the sense that you have generations now that say, well, I didn't directly do anything or, you know, that was my great, great grandfather. So I shouldn't have to bear his sins. It's like, but you need to acknowledge that that took place. But they won't. And the ramification see? and they won't. So but they won't. It's a, it's a fascinating film that's that's tough to watch. Yes. It, there's actually a warning. There's a warning about graphic content. Which you know we should tell people about. And I don't think it was that graphic. I just think it, the subject it, matter is very heavy. It is. It's very upsetting. Mm-hmm. And and certain points, the way that uh, things unfold, and something comes out of the blue because that's kind of the logic of the of the film. Something comes out of the blue, and it's it's incredibly distressing. But I think uh, it should not be shied away from. Um, and and to add to what you were saying, I think one of the very important things that the film does in terms of the, the historical context is show how this one community, and it's just an example of one community um, in the larger South, uh, uh, that this one community had this such a deep history and so many lynchings and so many families involved, and there are names in the newspaper, and those names are still still there mm-hmm. so that and the explanation about how people viewed it back then how the white people viewed it and how they felt like it was their right to do they felt entitled mm-hmm. and so it's sort of like a really uh, important point of view about white entitlement that when you hear the white people of today protesting saying oh no I, you know I wasn't connected it's like yeah, but you're part of a whole long line of people mm-hmm. who knew, and, you know, and and that informs how we start looking at the whole Lacey investigation, right? Yeah. 
and that type of mentality is still granted even in Canada um, on Canada land um, they have a podcast called uh, Thunder Bay mm-hmm. it's a five part series about similar type of situation but in regards to the indigenous um, population and how they're treated in Thunder Bay right? and you think about that and you're like how do, how do we never hear this in the papers? Exactly. Right? But when you actually hear the accounts, it's it's very much similar to this, where the community is like, there's no problem. These people just happen to all drown in the, the water themselves. And mm-hmm. That seems a little suspicious that an entire community would just... Right. That would have faulted. But how many white people now, if they when they hear that, they're they're like, oh well, I don't live in that community. Mm-hmm. It's it's the shrugging it off that yeah. that people, you know, it's that's why films like this are important, not just to tell the stories that we need to hear, but also to remind us, you know, how we're all connected together. So that's yeah. There's a, a great line in the film that um, where the one person says. An injustice that happens to one member in the community impacts the entire community. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's important. And um, this film will definitely help you to understand that if you don't already. But it's a vital film. It's a vital film to see. Always in season. Uh, okay, now we switch gears. You want to talk uh, Miles? Miles? We're going to talk about Miles Davis. Miles Davis. I was so excited when I heard this film was going to be in uh, the festival it had a premiere uh, was that sundance i believe yes yeah was that sundance and so the the, the word was that it, it it was you know the word was favorable favorable and it's hard with, to make a documentary about an icon and miles davis is definitely an icon for music for jazz music in particular and you know you i if you know him very well, if you know if you follow the music and you know the stories, then you approach it with a bit of skepticism. Well, what are you gonna you know, what are you gonna do differently? And this film is so comprehensive and so multifaceted with the never before seen footage, with the uh, personal writings that are read in voiceover. Uh, all the photographs, all the footage that we know, and a lot of yeah, and a lot of footage that we don't know, and putting it all together, including a, a boxing metaphor that goes throughout it, I got this complete. I don't even know if I've ever gotten such a complete portrait of an individual. Now I know it's shaped by the director, who, by the way, is an Emmy Award-winning director, Stanley Nelson, but I thought that the way that he put it together and the way that he sustained the film was just expert it's it's like music documentaries are popular but this one is uh, is exceedingly like this one i think will go down as one of the one of the best it will will be remembered that way and the skill with which the director mixes all this stuff and he does it not in a very aggressive kind of way it's kind of languid in a way which when you hear miles davis's music mm-hmm. on palm reflection i thought it's got you know miles that's what he was known for and uh it's got this languid style this documentary with flourishes and i thought that's miles miles is reflected in every facet of this film including the way that it was put together yeah it's i, I I think it's a really well done film. I had two minor um, complaints with it, but nothing to. Do you want to say? Uh, well, one was I thought it 
it felt to me like it ran a little too long, but I know it's it's very comprehensive. It goes through his entire career, and I think there's certain parts that could have probably been um, truncated a bit. Really? Yeah. Because he moved. That was the thing. Like first he was, you know, someone who was like this this hot kid. Like, you know, he got into bands that. He was by, by far the youngest person, right? Mm-hmm. So he sort of made his way that way, and he even like told off a teacher at Juilliard. He, he went, to, he tried to study at Juilliard, and then he he said, "That's crap." I can't say the word he said to the teacher, but the teacher this this teacher was talking about what made the blues, and and Miles stood up in class and he said uh, bad words, right? Yeah. <laughs> And all that stuff is, and, is very um, But, you valuable. know, and then what he did to jazz is, you know, when he became, came into his own and he was a band leader, what he did to even Birth of the Cool, which is the subtitle of the film, what he did to redefine jazz and reorient it and give jazz a, like a different palette with, you know, uh, approaching it from different points of view, including a classical point of view, even though it doesn't sound like classical music, you know. Mm-hmm. What he did there. And then as things evolved and things evolved, and then he became a mentor of sorts to people. He, he had this improvisational style where he just sort of said to, to his musicians, you know, with the famous quintet that he formed, he said to them, okay, well, here's an idea. Let's work it out. And that was a recording, that genius recording. And then all of a sudden he goes into funk. Which, okay, I'm not being aggressive with no, you, Cordy, no, but which part would you have? And all that stuff is valuable. Which but part I will would t- you have cut? I would have cut the stuff about the fashion because they established early on, um, I think it was with his second wife, the mm-hmm. actress, mm-hmm. that he was a style icon mm-hmm. and that people wanted to be with him. Like men wanted to dress like him and, mm-hmm. and what a, you know, he was the rare um, icon for the black community that they hadn't seen before. Mm-hmm. But when you get to the 70s and they start talking about, well, his style of music changed, and then all, and then you're seeing all the various stuff with the how he's embracing the '70s fashions, and then the '80s he looked completely different. It's like I didn't need to know all of that. Like I was, I was more interested. That time could have been used for me, and this is my second minor complaint: is to focus on some of the darker aspects of Miles Davis. You're because right because the film does bring them up, which is very important because I think that that was something that drove Miles in a way, and in a, in a way, I think that kind of justifies the fashion part because for him the pain that he suffered he he it, I've heard this before and so I don't know if I'm I'm you know, placing it upon the film mm-hmm. but the pain that he felt uh especially when he went to Europe and was celebrated as an individual as a musician he comes back and he's treated like a black man in the civil rights era, which is, means he's treated in a crappy way. Crappy yes. is my word for all the bad words right today. He's treated in this horribly crappy way. And once again, I hear how much it hurt him mm-hmm. in, as an individual, which is something that anybody could understand. Yes, and that, and, but that. And for uh, him to have, like, to be this, like, look, I've got the, I've got the best suits, I've got the cars. And I am a genius musician. Like, people look to me. And that, I felt like that was in some way that, that explains Miles, that how important it was for him. Yeah, but it only, it only touches on a certain aspect of him. Like, I, I like that they touched on that part, that the fact that musicians and we saw it in wartime as well, people would go to Europe and they'd be able to walk around as a person of color. You know, and they'd still endure 
racism stuff, but not to the level in the states. They could be free, they could live, they could love, and then they come back to the states and they're the back of the line, back of the bus. That stuff was interesting, but when he was, when I'm talking about the dark times, I'm talking about like when he was dealing with the substance abuse, the the spousal abuse, because they talk about early on about how he witnessed his father abusing his mother and how that shaped him in some way. And then the film kind of glosses over it. And I think a lot of music docs fall into this, where because you are revering the person's talents so much and like what their talents meant to everyone else, they kind of acknowledge that there was darker moments, but they don't really delve into it. Like this film does a good job of showing you his entire career. Um, again, I would have cut some of the fashion stuff in the 70s, but when it gets to the stuff where he was abusive to his wife and like having going through some really tough times, I felt the film kind of touches on it and then glosses over it. You know? Yeah, okay. They, you they, know what? Include, I'll give you that. They even include moments where, like, one of the ex-wives was, you know, he was abusive, you know, I had to leave, but he was a wonderful man. And it's like, okay, we, we know he's a great individual. I'm not knocking Miles Davis as a person. Like, you can have your flaws. I just feel like sometimes, especially when it comes to music docs or even sports docs, they revere the person so much that they don't want to delve too much into the darkness. And I don't know either to upset fans or what. And it's like, no, sometimes you need to delve into the darkness to fully understand how he transformed that into positive art mm -hmm. you know so i felt like that's where they could have dived into a bit more yeah i think no that's a good point it's a very good point and they do gloss over that mm -hmm. and in fact ignore one wife almost completely yeah betty davis the funk the, the funk superstar mm -hmm. he they just totally ignore her it was only a marriage of one year but still and maybe there was more darkness in that yeah. in that marriage i don't know and even the womanizing trait and we're, we'll get into this a bit later with another film mm -hmm. i felt maybe because it was a male director i don't know but it, it, it just felt like oh the, the women loved him and it's like yeah but didn't he cheat on the, oh we're just gonna gloss over that okay all yeah right. yeah know, okay he, he was a he was a sw swinging ladies man like you know he had all these different women that's great you know it's great that he had these great romances but some of those romances he had while he was in romance with somebody else like you know like those those are the little moments that thing again it doesn't deter from this film or all i would say definitely go see it um, if you're a fan of miles davis you'll love it if you don't know anything about miles davis you'll learn a lot and you'll appreciate the music even more you know, and you might want to seek it out. It's just those little um, moments in this film, I think, could have been formed differently. You know what? I, I, I see your point, and I, I'm glad you said that mm -hmm. because you're right. And I feel now like, how did I just sit there? And I knew it at the time I was watching it. Mm -hmm. But then in the end, I just glossed. I glossed over it, too. And so I'm really glad you said that now. And I'm uh, sort of um, it changing, not changing, but I'm acknowledging your f that what you're saying about that flaw, uh, I completely agree with. Yeah. And this, again, this is a common flaw in a lot of um, documentaries about famous people mm -hmm. because you don't want to come down harsh on them. You know, this is not like a, a Finding Neverland or what have you, an expose to... Yeah. To re this is a, it's really a celebration of a great artist. Yeah. It's just, you know, we, we need to get to the point where we can celebrate them, but still acknowledge they're human. They have darker sides. They have flaws that you can learn from. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Now you've got me thinking. But I can't think. i got to talk about the next <laughs> film. <laughs> anyway, we were talking about Miles Davis' Birth of the Cool. Definitely see that. 
And, uh, yeah, I think Courtney's given us a lot to think about for that one. So now we're going to stay in the realm of uh, music docs. I think music docs really are an important part of the documentary genre, but they're also a big part of the festival experience because uh, they are a category unto themselves um, in, in a lot of different ways, like stylistically, content, theme, mood, you know. Um, but also um, they just... Like a really good music doc has a special place, I think, in doc fans' hearts. Unless you're some sort of person who doesn't like music, which I don't know those kind of people, so I'm not commenting. But anyway, so the next one is a Canadian film called Shella Record, a reggae mystery. And it, uh, it is what it says. But, uh, <laughs> what you don't know is that this, uh, this gent named Chris Flanagan, who made the film, he... Uh, is an artist and record fanatic and he was rummaging through a thrift store uh, record bin and for 10 cents he found a record he had no cover but he found this record and he loves reggae so that's all he knew so he at 10 cents right and he fell in love with this one piece of music with this one song that this woman was singing and all it said was that it was Shella record and he couldn't find anything. And he went, he knows people in the reggae community in Toronto, and he went and he tried to find some information, became so obsessed, and it, he couldn't really get anywhere, but he got some information about possible places to, and people to see in Jamaica. And he goes there, and basically it's just this, this mystery that he's tr trying to solve, and we follow this journey. And it doesn't feel like he's on that journey for 10 years, but, yeah, his obsession lasted 10 years. Um, I really liked it. I, I found it, you know, intriguing, his obsession. I think, you know, just a, I don't know if this is his first film. He, I mean, he's, he says in the film himself he's not a filmmaker, so this is a, a slight thing about a possible first-time filmmaker mistake, which is, you know, it could use some trimming. Mm -hmm. There are certain parts of the journey where... We don't have to see every detail. I understand that that's part of the journey and you want to recreate it. But you can, uh, you know, it's not a long film. No, it's but there's there's a few moments, and I, and I think I know exactly what you're talking about because I had the same feeling. There was a few moments where because he's following every lead, it's, it starts to go to some... I'll say ridiculous places. Yeah. <laughs> That's, it, it's, it's funny when you see it, but as it goes further down that little rabbit hole, you're like, did we really need to include yeah. this? Like it, it felt like he was adding a bit of filler because maybe at that point he wasn't even sure how where the story would go. And I, I'm not going to ruin anything. I think it's a, a very interesting mystery. I'll say I enjoyed everything else about this film. It's entertaining. He's an Australian living in Toronto who travels to Jamaica and New York and all over to find this one individual who may or may not exist anymore and yeah she may not be alive and it's an interesting thing because I, what i liked about it is he acknowledges that you know he's a white guy going in search of this musician that he doesn't even know but it's a loving portrait to that whole history of music and similar to what happens in Miles Davis 
this film also talks about the hierarchy in music because we always think well you know you, people like certain music music that touches them we, music's like poetry in this case that song is like poetry and it does a good job of breaking down why to him this song is important and why you should be moved by this particular voice and sound but then you also start to see the hierarchy between like jazz and reggae mm-hmm. you know and the next one we're going to talk about there's a different type of hierarchy yeah right? and yeah, yeah we all like to think oh well music's universal and that but then there's a little bit of snobbery that occurs. yeah but he doesn't go in with that he just goes in strictly as a fan understands the the beauty and poetry of music and that i think allows him to talk to the various types of people all on the same yeah, that are involved yeah. in the Jamaican uh, recording industry or were, mm-hmm. you know, like t- former producers and things like that. And really, I think important individuals, it, it, like it, I don't know a lot about reggae, so it was really eye-opening for me mm-hmm. uh, to hear um, everyone talking and and, underst- and giving me a better understanding of the music and why it's so important. And yes, you know, there was that scene where the record producer was saying, you know, oh, everybody thinks that jazz is, you know, the, yep. the smart music and that, you know, reggae, it, 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 he found it, I can't remember what you, word he used to put it mm-hmm. down, but, you know, they, they put it down and it's like, but this is, he said, but reggae is the, the music of the people and it's like, yeah. I get it. I get it. And you also see when he's, he's also referencing like that same hierarchy, not just amongst the listeners because there's that, ongoing but Mm -hmm. amongst musicians themselves Mm -hmm. you know oh you play that style of music well it is not as good or important as my style of music so it's it's fascinating to see and then even you know the film uses reenactments sparingly sometimes for humorous parts and you know i like how it kind of teases a bit of the song and then it gives you the full song yeah at one point you know so that you're really you really understand the passion to kind of keep you yeah. going, and even the use of dioramas. For, you know, like it's 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 a it's very creative for for an individual, and if whether or not this is his first time film, like it's it, it was a pleasant surprise. I yeah, uh, yeah, and it is an intriguing story, mm-hmm. absolutely intriguing. Um, and this, you know, this characters that he meets along the way is like the best the best kind of journey. Um, and also, I think it's important. It's an important. The whole thing is an important reminder that some things in this world, yeah, it is important to go on some crazy journey or get obsessed with this thing. You're not even sure why. And it could be a piece of music, which, you know, in in, in definable terms is something undefinable. Yep. But to be obsessed and to, to put some effort into understanding why that touched you so deeply and why that's so important to you. I think that's an important reminder for all of us. Mm-hmm. You know, the intangibles, they're important too. It'll so. definitely make you want to seek out that song. Definitely. Afterwards. And watch it to the end. Mm-hmm. Watch every credit. I'm telling you, pay off. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Shella Record of Reggae Mystery. Now, this one, I don't know. Uh, I'm not a Gordon Lightfoot fan. It's still We're still talking about music docs. I'm not a, a Gordon Lightfoot fan. Uh, this is part of Big Ideas, which is the the part of uh, Hot Docs. There's a number of films that are chosen, and there's a discussion and the screening of the film. So this film, Gordon Lightfoot, If You Could Read My Mind, um, is part of it. And he, for for Canadians, he's a musical icon. Um, it's, it's a certain style of music that was popular like a long time ago. A lot of people weren't even born. 
when folk music was kind of the rage. And, and Canada at least got some recognition as a, a leader in folk music. We had Joni Mitchell, we had Gordon Lightfoot, you know. Um, it's not my kind of music, uh, but I grew up in a time where it was kind of blasting on the radio, whether I liked it or not. And I don't have anything against the music, and I don't have anything against Gordon Lightfoot. So for me, it was like a pleasant surprise to see this film where here we, he's still alive, and he's f incredibly dead honest about himself, which is always refreshing. You know, he's alive, and so he does tell the truth. He does tell you his flaws. He does, uh, you know... Um, recount these stories it's, it's, it's kind of personal but intermixed with that are all these people that pop up and I was uh, I think that was part of the, the sort of the pleasure I got from watching the doc was here's this guy being honest about everything like, brutally honest funny honest and here's all these people from <laughs> Kenny Lee Alec Baldwin I won't tell you everybody singing his praises and telling us why the music meant so much to them. Um, if you don't know Getty Lee's, you know, like a heavy rock guy. Yeah, Rush. <laughs> Rush. <laughs> and Alec Baldwin, you know, the American actor. Yeah, and Sarah McLaughlin. There's a, a slew of, of people in it, and I will... But Getty Lee freaked me out the most. Really? Yeah, I was like, what are you doing here? See, for me, it was Alec Baldwin. <laughs> I would have never expected Alec Baldwin to be in a Gordon Lightfoot documentary and I, i'll pick up on one thing that you said that was my initial hesitation in watching this film um and you said that you know he was popular before a lot of people were even born mm -hmm. and i feel that gordon lightfoot is part of that canadian stable of musicians that you know before even i was born i you know i was told he is a legend you must you know admire respect and it's like i hadn't even heard a single song but you know he's yeah. just he's up there how dare you speak anything about gordon Lightfoot? <laughs> um so, so it'd be interesting to hear your point of view now i really love this film did you i did are you serious i had, I, I knew you were hesitating I, and i didn't think I, I, you'd I, like it i was surprised how much i loved it. and i'll tell you why because his his honesty i thought was refreshing you know, even when his wife and everyone's saying, oh, he's so great. He's just like, oh, yeah, I hate this song. <laughs> or, but, you know, he was, he was brutally honest. And then, like, hearing him, you know, it starts off with him talking about how he, Drake's Views album was a great album and yeah, I know. really well written. It's like, what? Garden Lake listens to Drake. He and hooked like, you me just, in when he talked about Drake. Yeah, it's like, because I thought, well, you know, in, in how many decades is, and then it's going to be Drake is going to be the guy celebrated like Gordon Lightfoot. Well, I don't right? know if Drake will ever reach that level because the, I still think there's a certain type of artist and a certain type of song. Like, you know, Canada is still very much rock, country, and, and folk. But what I really liked about this film is you hear about the songwriting process. Mm -hmm. And even when he's talking about, like, his meticulous work, and it was just him, his words, a and a guitar and a beat. And I felt like it almost breaks down every song. And then when you see how certain songs were covered by everybody yeah uh, whoever was popular of that era covered one of his songs you know and they're all talking about the pacing of the song how the song tells particular stories it made me look at his music in a whole other light opposed mm -hmm. to yeah this is a really nice song yeah i've been told is one of the greatest songs <laughs> of all time and then you actually <laughs> hear the lyrics and, you're like, and, and understand the context of the writing process you're like oh i actually see the craft 
yes. in it. And that's what I think we tend to forget when we're promoting people, whether it be Drake, Gordon Lightfoot, whoever. We always say, this is this person's great to the next generation. Mm-hmm. You know, how, how dare you not listen to the Beatles? How dare you not listen to Elvis? But we don't talk about the craft and why their their music has stand the test mm-hmm. of time. And I think this one surprised me. And I think because I was kind of begrudging, like, oh, I don't want to watch a Gordon Lightfoot thing. I was like, oh, I actually like Gordon Lightfoot. <laughs> It's one of those people's like, I would like to hang out with Gordon Lightfoot. Just, exactly. You know, he sounds like a seems like a really interesting individual. So I I was pleasantly surprised by by this film. I, again, it still has you know when it touches on some of the darker aspects, it it doesn't delve as deeply as I would have liked when you talk about his alcoholism. Deep, yeah, yeah. And then again, you've got the whole part where they just kind of gloss over that he was a ladies' man and just completely ignore. That's like, oh, I, I feel like that's kind of being celebrated and not really delved into in terms of, like, talking about that in, in regards to the addiction. But overall, I was willing to ignore mm-hmm. that. Uh, I think I it's kind just of a really forget- well film. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, I was just saying I think it's, it's a really well done film and I was surprised by it. Yeah. I, the only thing that saved me from, from kind of um, getting really frustrated with Gordon Lightfoot and that womanizing part was the fact that at the very beginning of the film, there's one of his songs that he now refuses to play. And he says, it's so chauvinistic. Mm-hmm. And so when the film does that, I sort of feel like, okay, at least Gordon understands, yeah. you know? And I, and at least I, and he's I get got that. a clear picture. Yeah. Like I, no, I'm I not, I'm not he... defending him. I'm no, not no, defending I, him with the film. It's not even that he needs to be defended. I think he acknowledges that aspect of his life i just felt like the film itself in terms of how it unfolds the narrative kind of glosses over that and i was thinking well that's still a very interesting time because when he is being a bit of a womanizer he's also jamming with bob dylan and some of the greats (laughs) and like it and there's you know there's an interesting talk about the competitiveness of musicians Mm -hmm. and even he early on talks about you know his albums never quite sold how he wanted to because the Beatles would release something when he released it. Like, yeah, that type his of, frustration. You know, yeah. it's not just about the art. There's a there's an area of commerce to it. Like, there's there's a lot of interesting facets that this film touches on. Like, it's just like, oh, I wish I had a little bit more of that. But uh, again, coming from where I was originally coming from with this film, I was I, I quite enjoyed it. Yeah, I'm. I like what you said about the, the how it showed us the craft, because that's how I approached the film. To me, it was. Um, like, I approached it as, oh, okay, it's folk music, it's Gordon Lightfoot. I'm not a fan. I don't hate him, but I'm not a fan. And, yeah, that's what sucked me in, it, it, his personality and the way that the film did that with, you know, um, the craft of the of the, the music making, mm-hmm. how it outlined it. And and what you when you were saying that, that reminded me of the Miles Davis because both films, they, they succeed. Actually, and Shella Record. So I think, you know, in the case of these three music docs, one of the strengths in each case is how they do delve into the craft of each type of music making. And it's not like they're educating us. It's not like a lesson in. It's just that they open up the conversation Mm -hmm. and sort of gently invite us in to consider this. And because it's music and it's, you know, it's so easy to just get into that yeah. and i i was surprised how much how caught up i was in it yeah they're all they're all one of a kind artist mm-hmm. and it does a good job of really explaining why that is the case not saying that 
all hope is doomed, like never pick up an instrument, you know, but this is what made them unique. Yeah. And for those who are up and coming musicians, something else might make you unique. But this is in particular, like mm-hmm. the voice, the 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 rhythm, you know, the skipping of water t- style rhythm, or in this case, how each guitar was tuned right. to the precise thing. And you'd work on it to get the certain flow and cadence and like all that stuff was really really fascinating mm-hmm. absolutely okay so so even though the gordon lightfoot film is part of big ideas which means uh it's harder to get into i think a lot of people go to those it, it's because it's the big panel discussion um i don't know if it's sold out yet but it'd be good to go to that because Gordon Lightfoot will be there. So that's for Gordon Lightfoot, if you could read my mind. But also the other thing about films that are included in the Big Ideas program is that they have at least one separate screening where you just go and watch the film. It's not as expensive, uh, you know, and if you just want a movie. So, yeah, I think these are three great music docs, which, uh, you know, like I said, that's always a highlight of my festival. Um if if i if i could just do a little something sure a little bit of experimenting in radio and see how i can connect th- these two last films this this one pipe dreams is connected to the music theme yep. in a way it's uh it's a film about uh five young organists competing in an organ competition you know in church a lot of churches have, especially cathedrals, have pipe organs, and they're complicated instruments. They're the largest instruments in the world often, and they're complicated instruments because of all the pipes and all the keys and all the push. And you can you even like do things with your feet to get some of the pipes going and stuff. And you know, it may sound like one of those. I don't like. <laughs> You know, I don't like pipe music. Uh, but it's a fascinating film because, you know, if you could just op- keep your mind open and go into this film, it's fascinating because it does help us understand uh, not just the draw of this, but also uh, how five different individuals approach it. And they're all different. They're all very different. And we get to know them. And they're all very enthusiastic and very excited and and so the, and the whole thing takes place with this this narrative through line of competitiveness right that you go through one, it, there's a giant co- competition at the end but you know they go through these different hurdles and so it's i i saw it as just one of these great films that would be great to watch in a festival setting with a large audience it'd be like a, a, an audience favorite mm-hmm. with you cheering everybody on having your favorites right oh that's great and then in the end, you see what the judges, who the judges choose, but you get to know these people along the way. And I, you know, it, they, I think films like this um, just open our eyes a bit more about people, you know, different kinds of people yeah. and different backgrounds and and that that kind of stuff. And it's just nice to see lovable people. And you think the other one ties and, into that as well? Oh yeah, drag kids. Okay, drag kids has nothing to. Well, it does in a way have okay. something to do with music because. So there's these um, youngsters. They're like preteen, okay. preteen youngsters, who um, and what we follow mostly boys, three boys, uh, no, th- yeah, three boys and one girl, who love to dress in drag, and 
they go and they perform. And in one case, especially, like there, there's this one shy boy uh, who, once he gets on stage, just com- transforms into a completely <laughs> different person. Even though he's got the outfit on and he's, he's Susan, right? It's the before and after, before stage, on stage. Yeah. You know, and we get to know these, these kids and it's all leading up to this one competition where they're all going to meet. They're all from different parts of the world. And we go through um, their trials and tribulations before that. You know, um, they talk about the bullying. The parents talk about the bullying. Their parents talk about why they support them and the different issues that inevitably obviously come up, which is, you know, the the whole question about what to do about the bullying and how people are – they're often the parents are fighting off criticisms of well you're making them gay in the case of the boys you're making them gay mm-hmm. you know and the whole the whole discussion and i it's really great to have this discussion opened up about you know dressing in drag doesn't mean you're gay and is this sexualizing the children because they are you know oh, performing performing and, yeah. and dancing and which actually is an issue because that goes back to you know when little girls are competing in the pageants in the pageants and they're like four years old and writhing around like you know Madonna and lady Gaga mm-hmm. so that that question comes up but in a way that kind of the film leaves that aside because yeah, it's not the, the main focus it's not the main focus because the main focus is the joy the joy that these kids experience and I think that is the great thing about the film. It's just this, excuse me if there's a pun in here, the unadulterated mm-hmm. <laughs> joy that these kids feel. They're free. They're doing what they want. And it, it comes naturally. And so how can you argue with something that comes naturally? And they don't know what their sexuality is. They don't think about that. They just know what they want to do and they know how they want to look and they know how they want their costumes to be and they want and they they want the adoration they want the crowds the you know the accolades the applause everything oh, and that that good. makes what ha- makes them happy and i think that will be an audience favorite yeah, as well to check both of those out i think you'll like them okay so that's it for Frameline for this week yeah more hot dogs next week thank you for listening and come back again next week